0: fan of the podcast, then you'll love the bonus podcast we do every week. This week it's going to be extra special because we're going to do a Thursday 15 podcast because there's so many meets on Friday that we want to let you get an extensive breakdown out of it. So go to Letron.com slash subscribe if you're not a supporting club member and join today. Letron.com slash subscribe.
1: Got cut Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. The indoor track season is in full swing and it was a huge weekend for the Newbury Park High School boys at the Dr. Sander Invitational. We gained another member of the High School Sub-4 Mile Club in Colin Solman. And even more rare, another member of the high school sub-8 3000 meter club in Lex Young. will dive into those performances. We'll also discuss the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, where Spanish athletes put on a show led by Adele McCall's 7.30 European record for 3K. There were also big wins for Noah Lyles, Grant Holloway, and a killer close for Gabriella Debus Stafford of the Bowman Track Club. We'll take a quick look ahead at some hot track action this weekend, including an American record attempt in The Mile by Cole Hawker and Cooper Tier in Chicago, and the topic you guys have all been waiting for, Molly Seidel's Bumble account. Robert Weldon Johnson, my bosses, co-founders of let'srun.com, joining me, Jonathan Golt, for another hour and a half or so of track talk. Guys, good morning. How you guys doing?
0: Doing great, Jonathan. Doing great. Warning. Those of you wondering what that sound was, yes, it was a beer. I'm very excited, folks. I've got a secret to reveal to you guys. It's not good to keep secrets from close friends and family, but I've been on a 28 day quest for sobriety. It's not over yet. I'm actually, that was a non alcoholic beer. Don't worry, I'm not drinking a beer, but I'm just getting ready. Getting ready. It ends this weekend. I haven't really missed it. But it's been fun.
1: Have you lost any weight, Robert? Have you gotten any compliments from your wife?
0: That's what my wife asked. And I don't know. I, I, I kind of been, I got hurt by wearing the super shoes on Thanksgiving. and been not been running for about two months, although I'm back now. So I don't think so because I've been drinking more than normal. I've been pounded, probably pounding like five non-alcoholic beers a night. I realize I'm just bored when I'm working on the website. So my wife claims that I'm doing it because if you drink five, it's like the equivalent of one regular beer. (laughs) So it's been eye opening though. I did it last year. She didn't have many comments this year. She's like, wow, I thought that the drinking was your personality. Now I realize this is just your personality.
1: I guess that's a good thing. All right. I will make a proposal though. I was thinking about this the other day on a run. We need to have one episode per year. Where it's the Let's Run podcast after dark, and we're all slugging a couple beers. We let the unfiltered opinions come through. We'll need to hire someone. We'll need to listen to the whole thing afterwards in the cold light of day to make sure we didn't do anything that'll get us cancelled or fired. But I think that's a good way for to really let our true opinions come out. That's what you hear when you go to the bar after the race. That's when you hear the real opinions, not just you know sort of sobering morning statements when we've all had our cup of coffee.
2: John, that's called the Olympics. That's what we did all during the Olympics. For our Supporters Club members, we did live shows. We did at the Olympic trials, too. We did live shows daily at the Olympic trials and at the Olympics. You guys were doing them at, like, 2 a.m. in Tokyo after drinking beers. I I thought it was great. Joe, and also, we always give our unfettered opinion. I didn't realize what a joke the running media is. I found out in a thread today that we're the only... Apparently, well, at least a few sites are mentioned, running media that has mentioned Alberto Salazar being convicted of sexual assault by SafeSport, the article in the New York Times. I and mean, that's unbelievable. Like, runner's rule has not mentioned it. And others. So, unbelievable. Like, w- like, you're just not going to report news for some reason? That's crazy. I thought they'd be all over that topic
0: i agree with you it's stunning i thought i hadn't seen anything did a little research zero words written on the matter of runners world folks you get unfiltered rojo you get the truth on let's run release our version of it every week and if you want to join the show 844 let's run eight four four five three eight seven seven eight six. women's running has had no words on it now they don't really cover current events as much
1: Sidious mag, they don't really write stuff though, right? They've been writing a little bit more this year. But I guess you all guys are right with the unfiltered stuff. Like, you know, maybe we're a little looser if I drink a couple beers while I do the podcast. But I do feel like we're pretty freewheeling with what we talk about anyway. So maybe we don't need to do that. Maybe I just want to have one podcast right? drink a beer. Are we also going to talk about Pete
0: Julian's ideas to save the sport of track and field?
1: If you'd like to, Robert, of course. But to me, what I want to start by talking about is Newbury Park. This to me was the most exciting storyline, the most interesting storyline of the weekend is we've got a high school team now in the United States of America that has a 358 miler, a 757 3K guy, and an 801 3K guy on it. And they probably have another guy who's a four flat miler. 8 flat 3k guy who didn't race this weekend that's totally insane most college teams would be very happy to have that group of guys I just thought what they did at the Dr. Sander invite over the weekend was remarkable Colin Salman wins the pro mile now granted it's not like he's racing against a bunch of top tier pros but he was racing against a bunch of grown men he was fourth at the bell I'm like oh it's going to be kind of close for the sub 4 it wasn't close he moves up, uses a power move, runs 27 seven for his last 200, destroys everyone, and then does the you know flex across the. it wasn't really a flex, it was more of just a you know double fist pump across the line. It was an awesome celebration, an awesome win, really cool, like that's one of the most badass sub-fours I've ever seen for your first time breaking four. And you could argue. It wasn't even the best performance of the day by Newbury Park because just before that, Lex Young ran 757 for 3,000 meters and he just barely missed his brother Nico's national record in a 3K by a couple tenths of a second. So I was just in awe of what they did. I knew they were really, really good. I wasn't, I guess I wasn't shocked that they could do these times, but just thinking about the ability to do them and then seeing them on paper kind of blew my mind. Robert, what did you make of these performances? Which one do you view superior between Lex Young and Colin Salman?
0: That's a great question. And I devoted an entire week that was almost to it. They're both super, super impressive. And, you know, there, there's two ways to view it. One, first of all, if you haven't watched the sub four, you've got to watch it. Because it's so much more impressive. To watch him win the race, the way he'd never run an indoor race, the patience, just the victory, you, you don't see that often. He wasn't hanging on. He was blasting it. But before watching the race, I had just written this column just looking at the stats, not trying to be guided by emotion. And I thought, you know, I, I think maybe, you know, Mr. Young running 757 the age 16 is a little bit more impressive. Um, you know, when Nico Young was in high school, we thought, hey, I used to say, kind of jokingly, but kind of seriously, like. Why are we hyping Nico Young? He's not even the most talented guy in his family. These younger kids are going to be faster. And now that's, you know, becoming the case. So both are super, super impressive. If I hadn't watched the race, I would definitely say the Young performance is bigger. I mean, long-term, but now I'm not so sure.
1: Yeah, it is worth noting that Lex Young is a junior and Colin Solomon's a senior. And then Aaron Solomon, Colin's brother, who ran 801, he's also a junior. So three of these four super studs on that team are going to be back next year, maybe running even faster. We need to figure out which of Lex and Leo is the younger and which is the older twin. Because what needs to happen is you guys each need to adopt one guy who becomes your guy that you go to battle for on the podcast. I we can get into arguments when they race each other and that sort of thing on when we're saying, who's better. You've each got your own guy to support. It's sort of crazy to think that Nico Young,
2: who was one of the best high school runners ever, when it's all send and done, could be the third fastest guy in his family. And also... I mean, we sort of joked that, that the Twins were going to eclipse Nico. It's got to happen in terms of time. There's no question about it. I mean, I guess there's some question. It has to happen. But but Let's Run 757, he was the, getting beat by Leo all fall in cross country. So he was behind his own little brother, or older brother, I'm not sure who was older, just this fall. It, it's just unbelievable what, what this team is doing. Congrats to them. Congrats to Sean Brosnan.
0: Well, how about congrats to mom and dad of the youngs? I mean, which is more impressive, the team being that good or having three people in the same family that are teenagers running this fast? I mean, Nico Youngs run what? Like 13:15. Then you got a
1: 7:57 and the other kid 13:24, I believe, Robert. Okay, close enough, John.
0: To- totally absolutely amazing. I'm going to assume now that John, it was a great idea. We gotta figure out who's the older twin and who's the younger twin. I go for the younger twin. Generally the younger twin is slower. That's my experience. So I think Lex was slower, but now Big Brother's out of the picture and he's risen to the top and is now dominant. Like my father, well than I used to race, he said, You're just as fast as your brother, but you lose to him when you guys or when I time you separately you're just as fast. But when you race each other, you lose because I'm a nice guy. I don't have the killer instinct. So Now that the brother's been removed removed temporarily, maybe he'll grab grab this killer instinct and do it. I guess I got to go with Lex for the rest of my life as the twin to root for. But, you know, I thought it was interesting. We're going gaga over this. First of all, Lex and Leo are benefiting from super shoes. Did Nico have super shoes in high school? Probably not, right?
1: I don't think so. He graduated in 2020, which is when he ran his...
0: Seven fifty-seven. He, he probably had him by then. But, anyways, I, I did think it was interesting doing a little bit of research. Like, you know, let's don't forget we have seen performances like this, and we've seen them in the nineteen sixties. Jerry Langren eight forty, full two mile on a eleven lap of the mile track, is definitely better. Absolute performance. I mean, equivalent performance if you factor in the track. And then, as good as Mr. Solomon's mile was, John Kellogg made a great point to me. Do you guys realize what Jim Ryan did in 1965 when he was, that's the summer, I guess, after he graduated from high school, but he's still a high schooler. You guys know what he did? He beat the double, triple Olympic champion, Peter Snell. Peter Snell had won the 860, the 800 and 1564. He beats him straight up in a mile in San Diego, 355. So, you know, like it, it's. Now, John seems to get mad when I point these things out for some reason. I don't know why. Like I wrote the week the was column and John Meg like, made me change the headline. He thinks I'm being too negative. I'm not being negative. I'm just trying to point out like I I, I think that. i got to find my secret document here. Roger's secret takes because I I had written this down. i would forgotten about this, but some people are acting like. The expectations they're putting on these kids is unfair. And they're thinking, oh my God, they're going to dominate the world. Hold on, people. Take a step back.
1: No, but Robert, I think this whole thing, like you're trying to act like, well, it's not like we've never seen this before. The whole idea that you have to go back 60 years to two of the greatest phenoms in the history of American distance running to, say, to find something that you think is like better than what they were doing. I think that says a lot. Like, yeah, he wasn't the phenom that Jim Jim Ryan is the greatest phenom America's ever had in distance running. So is am I really shocked like these guys aren't the same as that? No. Like I, I think it's kind of ridiculous to compare it to. But the fact that you have to dig back that deep to find something, I mean, and you don't, by the way, because Hobbs Kessler ran 357 and 334 last year. But you know, I, I just don't like the idea of some high school runs an amazing performance. And then the very next thing you have to say is, wow, that was great, but we've seen better. I just think when it comes to a teenager, you don't do that. It's like when Hobbs Kessler ran 334 last, last year, your column the next day was, yes, it was great, but, and then you made this point about how it was this good as what Alan Webb had done in 2001. Likewise, Colin Salman runs 358, and then you're like, but... Is he even the best 18-year-old in America? Because Parker Wolf, who's a freshman at North Carolina, ran 752 on a flat track over the weekend. And to me, it's like, well, when you're talking about high schoolers like this, the idea should not be to bring them down and say, well, it was amazing, but he wasn't as good as this. It's just to say, no, it was amazing. We don't need to like compare everyone to Jim Ryan because everyone will inevitably fail to live up to Jim Ryan in terms of you know, being a phenom.
0: For the record, I'm glad that you guys made me change the headline in the Parker Wolf comment because I, I don't, I'm do not i not trying to come across as Debbie Downer. I'm just trying to be factual. I thought a journalist's job was to point out facts and make people think things. And I, I view my job here at Let's Run is to get people to, just to ponder things they're not pondering. And let's tamper things down just a little bit. There was a post on the message board by Douglas Burke after the race. It says, what if two to three? of the Newberry Park runners go on to have better personal best than Jacob Caplimo at 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 and a half marathon, which is a very realistic possibility. <laughs> what? That can, this person can't be serious. What? Dot, dot, dot. The Young and Solomon kids may be a superior version of the Britons. I hope this happens, and there's a reasonable chance it does. We will know in 10 years. I just, I had to jump on that thread and be like, do you guys realize how good Jacob Caplimo is? you guys realize how good the Britsons are? I mean, the worst of the Ingebrigtsens was fifth at the Olympics at age 21. My take on this message board thread was the odds that any of the youngs are ever fifth in the Olympics is less than 50%. Let's be honest about that, right? So, No doubt. No doubt. Um, I'm not saying that th- that they're not going to do it. They definitely could. But Jacob Caplimo, I mean, I-, I thought that was just like one of the worst takes in, in the history. I said, are you kidding me? You think there's a realistic possibility that two or three are faster, Jacob Plino. At age 16, Jacob Plino ran 7.43, 13.13. 13. Oh, by the way, excuse me. At 15, he ran 7.52, 13.13, 13, and 27.26. You know, at 19, he's down to 7.26, 12.48, 58.49. At age 20, he's run 26.33 and
1: 57.37. So. 57.31. But what I would say is, Yeah, the the exercise. You shouldn't be comparing them. Like, don't we don't need to compare them to all time greats? We can just say, hey, they're great in their own respect. You know, it's an and instead of a but. You shouldn't be saying but they're not as good as Parker Wolf. What I was interested though, like Parker Wolf ran really well. Like seven fifty two for a true freshman on a flat flat track, is terrific. And I think he should be getting more attention because he was twenty eighth in NCAA cross as a true freshman, against a lot of... That was a very deep year for NCAA Cross because you had the 60-year seniors, you had COVID seniors, that sort of thing. And he won the Running Lane Championships last year. He didn't really get to have the huge track season, I don't think, because we still had COVID. But Parker Wolf is a guy I'm definitely very excited to see what he can do in North Carolina because everything he's done so far has been very impressive. And he's still only 18. He's pretty young for, his, for a true freshman.
0: Which leads to the natural question. And I started a thread on this as well. And when I started originally, I was just talking about the high schoolers, and I've decided to add in the college player people. But who do you view as the best prospect for the United States moving forward? Which teenager? Colin or Aaron Solomon? Leo, Lex, or Nico Young? Parker, Wolf? And don't forget Hobbs, Kessler. I mean, it's, it's like an abundance of riches. It's a great question to have. I don't know if there's a right answer, really, honestly. Normally, I say you get the truth here from what's Run, but I don't want to be like having some guy posting my comments up on the... Or can you post a comment, John, somehow on a, on a board? Rojo! Or I guess they could print it out when I type it up. I motivate them for the next 20 years.
1: I think there's a clear answer here. It's the guy who ran 334 last year as a senior in high school. Hobbs Kessler, you know, he only really started training seriously about a year before that. He hit the Olympic standard. That's not something that any of these other guys have been close to. I don't think there's any doubt. Hobbs Kessler, I'm not saying he's going to have the best pro career, but who has the brightest future? Who would I take if I'm starting a team? It's Hobbs Kessler. And I think you can also see that he has what is rumored to be an enormous contract with Adidas. Like, if any of these other guys turn pro right now who of them would get anything close to what Hobbs Kessler got last year i don't think any of them would i think the reason is because shoe companies know what we know Kessler's a bigger prospect and again is you know he's a little older than the youngs the young, the younger young siblings that's why there's maybe a little bit more risk you wouldn't give them the contract that they got like he's run something world class already none of these other guys have I agree with you, John. It,
2: if one of these other guys went pro right now, they could get some sort of contract, but everything indicates that Hobbs Kessler got, you know, guaranteed multiple millions of dollars contract. He's run a world-class time for someone his age. I guess the other guys, they ran really good high school times or all-time high school times,
1: and, there, and there's still some difference there. Hobbs Kessler ran faster than the collegiate record as a high school senior for 1500 meters. Whereas these other guys, these other high school, like calling 3:58. That might eight. That might not even get you to CAAs this year. Same with 7:57. So there is a big difference in what they've accomplished. Again, these guys are younger than Hobbs Kessler, but I think that has to be the answer.
2: And John, you got on Robert's case for saying
1: but, and then you tell us how great Parker Wolf is. We're just giving a little perspective here. I'm saying, and well, then, like Colin Solomon's great, and Parker Pock Wolf is great. You don't need to say Colin Sol- Colin Salmon's great, but Parker Wolf is better. I think that's a way of framing the discussion. I think the and instead of the but is the way to do it. And, but okay, John, the Jim Ryan and Jerry Wingren thing,
2: it's it's got to be just set at times because like we're like, oh, these guys are unweebled so fast. How the F were those guys running that fast back then? There was no good tracks, no training technology. People didn't know what the F they were doing. Maybe kids are just too coddled these days and we're seeing they can train more. Like It's unbelievable. Name one other sport where stuff was better 60 years ago for high schoolers. Name one.
1: No, it's it's insane. Jim Ryan in 1966 is a 19-year-old set world records in the half-mile, 144.9. That's longer than 800 meters, people. And the mile, 351.3. He did that at 19. Like, I think it's just Jim Ryan was one of the greatest prodigy. He is the greatest American distance-running prodigy we've ever had and probably ever will have. I don't know if it's any more complicated than that. But maybe, I don't know. That, that's kind of the way I explain it, because uh, there isn't really a way to explain it. It still doesn't make sense what how good Jim Ryan was so early and was 60 years later.
2: We were putting men on the moon, John, in 1969. We can't do that anymore. That's the only thing. Jim Ryan and the moon landing.
1: All right, well, that's a lot of the tension on the high schoolers. There were other performances this weekend that we should maybe get on to. New Balance the Grand Prix. Robert, any final thoughts before we move on from... The brilliance of Newbury Park. The wizards of Newbury Park. How about that? In defense of
0: Mr. Solomon's mile versus Kessler, I mean, they were running the same weekend. So Kessler ran his three... I mean, you act like there's no chance that Solomon doesn't run 334 this year, John. So Kessler ran his 357.66 on this same weekend that Solomon ran 358.1 this year. So, and one was a win and one was third place. So yes, Kessler ran a little bit faster, but he was third. Here he wins the race. So, you know, it'll be interesting
2: to... A little interesting news from New Balance Grand Prix where Kessler was third. So he turned pro, had been recruited to go to NAU, went to NAU this fall. And now he's back training with the Nick Willis-Ron Warhurst track club in Michigan. And I was like, hey, what's the deal with school? Like, when are you going to go back to NAU? And he's like... Essentially, the news was like, I may not. He's taking community college classes. He's figuring it out. He's like, I missed being away from Ronnie and them. And it makes sense. If you're totally pro, getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to run, you can go to school anywhere. Now, Flagstaff is great because of altitude, obviously, and climbing. He's a world-class climber. But it sounds like his schooling at NAU might be permanently over.
1: I, yeah, if that's what they deem is best for him, I don't have any problems with that. Like, You can't just say last sub. I think last summer they were pretty open, they're going to adjust as things go along. He was pretty adamant a couple weeks before he signed his pro deal that he was going to go run in college, that he wasn't turning pro, then he ran 334 and things changed. He went to Flagstaff, now he's back in Michigan, he's making decisions, he's trying to see what works and what doesn't, what he likes and what he doesn't if he decides he wants to be based in Ann Arbor moving forward, I think that's totally fine. It's not like he's not—he's 18 years old. Things don't need to be set in stone yet for him.
0: You know, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Kessler in that sense of... I, there was a threat saying he shouldn't have gone pro. People are so wrong about that. He made so much money, he had, pretty much had to go pro. I think he's doing well. He's having a big life adjustments, and he just ran a half second faster this year than he did last year. So, you know, he had a big breakout last year to... To stay, I always say the next year, if you can get to that level and stabilize it, maybe be a little bit ahead, that's good. You don't always have big breakthrough after big breakthrough, you know? So I'm excited about that. I've seen a lot of people on the message board saying he's got to get out of Warhus. There, there, there's no elite training partners to train with. How can he be world-class if he doesn't have elite training partners? Because Nick Willis is too old and Mason Ferrell isn't that good. What? Did Nick Willis have training partners that were better than him? He had a pretty damn career. He's got two Olympic medals. So having training partners that are better than you may actually lead you to overtrain. So I think Nick is very good at listening to his body. Hobbs is probably that way too. Um, you know, one thing, if you're, if you're comparing Kessler versus the, which Solomon went sub four, Colin is, I think they may be different types of runners in the sense of Kessler could end up being more like a pure miler, like Willis where Solomon ends up in the 5,000. You know, because he is the nation's best cross-country runner. So if you put Solomon's speed, that kick, that 27, that's something Ritzenheim never really had. Put him in the 5K, it could be something really special there. So I think they may end up being in different events. But to put a wrap on this teenage talk, we are all going to say, right, these guys are the future, and Cole Hawker is a has-been. We've, he's totally done. Nike should have never paid it. <laughs> we, we forgot to re- – I'm joking, people, but he's 20, so we can't – We can't hype him as the phenom, but on last week's podcast, I meant to read a note from Eric, our programmer. He was listening to the podcast from two weeks ago, and he said, been listening to the podcast. I've got to put my opinion in there that Robert is overhyped on Cole Hawker. Here's my hot take. If Cole didn't outkick a fading star in Matthew Centowitz, he'd be seen just as another very good runner with potential. An NCAA winner, yes, above average Olympics, but never a contender. So there you have it, folks. If you're one of these young people and someone's criticizing you, don't worry about it because you can get fifth in the Olympics at age nineteen. And people are still gonna sixth say, at
1: age twenty, but I was close enough. You know Yeah, yeah. All right. So, other pro professional track. Well, we talked about high school. Actually, maybe we should have mentioned Ryan Hill was fourth in that race where Colin Solomon ran three fifty eight. Ryan Hill fourth, four flat point three nine. Robbie Andrews fifth, four hundred one point one seven. So. I guess they kind of got close to four minutes, but not under. Not So not totally encouraging, but maybe a small step forward. Anyway, let's talk about who's running well right now. New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. Bunch of events there to talk about. I'm just going to start one guy I was really excited about, and maybe this wasn't the biggest headline of the meet, but I was really pumped with how Noah Lyles ran in this meet. Because the week before, he runs Melrose. Nothing crazy. He doesn't have a great start. He gets beat, but he's kind of closing pretty well. This race. Again, his start was in, It was better. It wasn't amazing, but it was decent enough. And then the second half of the race, he just totally turns it on, blows everyone away. He runs 6.56. That's a personal best. And it wasn't just the performance that got me excited. It's that he seems like he's in a better mood. Last year, coming out of the pandemic, he detailed, you know, 2020 had been a very rough year for him mentally. You know, he was battling depression. He had some medication that he got on. He just seems like he's in a very good place right now, and remember, he's still only 24 years old. You're in 1950 a few years ago. He is the reigning world champion. We think, oh, last year he underperformed. He still got a bronze medal. He's still right in in the Olympic final. You know, he was still the U.S. champion. I know I did predict Arian Knighton would be the world champion this year, but I just left that race thinking. I know it's only a 60, and I know it's only February, but I left that race very encouraged by what we're going to see from Noah Lyles this season.
0: 100% agree with you, John. Last year, every race—remember what was happening? Every race indoors, it was. Oh, maybe look it up. The time he first of all he ran terrible his first in, his indoor race last year. I mean, it was horrific. But every other race, he was just a little bit off, like a quarter second, three tenths of a second. Oh the training's going fine. We're just working on our strength. Trust me, it's going to be there. No, everything was off. He didn't look the same. And I said, you know, go back and, and watch the tape. I said like two months ago, are we going to get peak Noel Lyles? Or is that past us? Are we going to get the guy that was viewed as the future, the phenom? And I thought that we might because, you know, these antidepressants are pretty powerful. They can impact your performance. I assume that now that he's had more time, maybe that's just as simple as that. The medications change, etc. I don't know the, the details of that, but He looked like a phenom, and he was pumped. He put that arm up. He's excited. He's motivated. I think that's going to be fantastic for him moving forward. And also, you know, just in general, I did enjoy this meet. Milrose gets a lot more hype, but if you look at it from the distance perspective, John, it was basically Milrose 2, New Balance Central Grand Prix 2, in terms of which races were the fastest, you know, the the 3,000. I knew Balance, Adele McCall. I said everyone's going crazy over Beamish. Do 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 we need to be doing this? Like that race was amazingly fun, but I said McCall is a better runner, and guess what? He came over here and run seven thirty from the front European record, super impressive. There.
1: Well, the th- the thing about that race is I'm. I'd like to. I. I don't know if you put McCall in the race at Milrose. I think he probably wins that race as well, but it's just a different kind of race. Like that one had a huge burn up, twenty five nine, twenty five seven lost lap by Beamish. This one was just McCall grinding everyone into submission. He runs, I think, three fifty six was his lost fifteen hundred, and sorry, lost sixteen hundred. He runs twenty nine, twenty nine, twenty nine, twenty nine, twenty eight for his lost five laps. Really, really impressive stuff, but he only closed in 28.15, which again, he runs 7.30, but he was fifth in the Olympic 1500, that's why I think he probably still wins that race last week, but it's just a little different. Like, if you put Beamish and these other guys in this race, I just think they all fall off and McCall's still running on his own. So he's fitter right now, but it's just, it's just a different kind of style of race. I also think last week's 3K was more exciting, but what McCall did was probably more impressive. Well, it was more impressive.
2: McCall's performance... Yeah, I mean, it's a European record. Obviously, it's super impressive. It w- I would have liked to see what Hawker and Tier could have done in this type of race. You know, could they hang on to that pace? But the pace really came down at the end. 504,000, Jordan Mann the pacer. FYI, he said he's been injured. The training's going very well. He's pleased with his pacing effort. So that was the plan. And then when I saw him come through there, I didn't realize, I just didn't think, like, oh, he's going to hammer down the final K, but that makes sense. If you're fit, that's what you're going to do. I feel like Jordy Beamish would have been dropped off the back. The weakness in his races, he, he, he lets the pace lag. That even happened the mile at New Balance. But it was pretty impressive, or very impressive. And the funny thing afterwards was McCall's like, I was like, did you think you were going to get the European record? He's like, I thought I could. You know, I, I need to get it before Jakob runs. So he thinks the record's on borrowed time. Essentially, the first time Jakob Ingebrigtsen runs the 3K this year indoors, the
1: European record will be broken again. Yeah, he's probably right. And what I find is interesting, this was a big day for Spain. They won this race. They won the men's 800. They won the women's 1500. And the women's 1,500, you know, you got a lot of America's top domestic talent because New Balance basically makes all their athletes run this meet. So, And New Balance sponsors a lot of women's middle distance runners. But I'm looking at the 3,000, I'm like, there was only one American in the field, it was Mason Furlick and his agent is Mark Wetmore, who's the meet director. And it just kind of reinforces like, oh yeah, New Balance basically doesn't sponsor any men's distance runners. So, not saying any of them could have stayed with McCall who ran free 730 but what do you mean they sponsor McCall I said American men's distance runners, well Robert but then I'm like they do sponsor a bunch of Spanish guys because they also men's 800 now this one was interesting because Bryce Hoppel is one of America's top 800 runners and he's in there and he's cruising along he's coming through 600 I think alright Bryce is looking good he's gonna do what he always does he's gonna win here then Garcia just makes this huge move, closes in 25-9, which is a terrific final 200 indoors for an 800 runner. And he runs one forty five one two, a Spanish record, leaves Bryce Hoppel in the dust. I was like, where this? this? Like, McCall, I knew he was good. You finish in the fifth, fifth of the Olympics, you're pretty good. Mario I don't know, Garcia, where did this come from? I thought that was really impressive.
0: Yeah, He looked great, but I want to get to the bottom of the Bryce Hoppel injury? A rib injury? Weldon thought he slipped on the ice. He said, No, I didn't slip on the ice and didn't say anything else about it. Just gonna say no comment as to what that could be.
1: Probably for the best that Robert isn't speculating, but I did find it interesting. He admitted he had a rib injury and he didn't really want to get into the specifics. I'm like, is this something embarrassing? I mean, it usually is embarrassing. But I'm like. What could I mean, it we be? We've a whole
2: new, new range of injuries to deal with now. Molly Seidel, after the New York City Marathon, said she broke her ribs. And people are like, how do runners break their ribs? So maybe it's more common. Because I said, oh, Bryce, like, you fell on the ice. And he said, no, quote, no, I was doing, quote, some stuff, you know, I probably shouldn't have. So who knows what that is. But he still ran pretty well, so... Probably fell. Probably was joking around, doing something stupid, fell down, hurt his ribs,
1: but still ran what one forty
2: six. One forty six
1: oh eight. Yeah, Bryce ran fine. I'm not worried about him. I would still say if Brazier is not in the field at USA Indoors, which I don't think he will be, Bryce Hoppel's still going to be the favorite in the eight hundred. Couple other events from this meet. I thought the men's mile was great. It's just a classic. Race style where one guy goes out really hard and you see sees if he can hold on, and that's what Colby Alexander did. He came through half mile in one fifty four eight three. That's faster than an American record pace. And then it's just okay. Can he keep it going? And he actually did. Yeah, well, he slowed down a little bit. You know, it's not like he blew up blew up horribly, but he went from running fifty six and fifty eight for his first two quarters to running fifty nine and fifty nine for his last two. But it just came like, could he hold on? Not quite. Andrew Koskarin of Ireland timed his pick really well. 353, nice big for him. He didn't run that well at Milrose, so a good rebound for Koskarin. And Colby Alexander held on to runs 353, which after running 352 a week later at Milrose. Pretty good stuff. It does sound like, talking to his agent Stephen Haas, he will have a contract fairly soon, but impressive run. The one, the disappointment in this race was Jody Beamish who ran three fourth place. And after the race, well, then you talked to him and he just admitted, you know, he was disappointed with it as well. It sounds like now he's three K is going to be what he's focusing on at world indoors, which I would think makes sense based on his early results this year. And
0: there you have it folks. Jonathan Galt has revealed while he's still single at age 30. He's unconsciously failed to mention any of the women's races. I, the wokest man in track and field will bring up the women's races at New Balance. Natuya really Goal with a world leader, won 59.62 in the women's eight. But Esther Guerrero won the 1,500 But how about Gabrielle DeBeau, Stuart Stafford? I mean, she just blasted the end of that 3,000, 833.92, new Canadian national record. And really, I think, is set up to run well this weekend in an American, North American record attempt. Well, then she told you the details. What's going on?
2: a huge weekend this weekend in general we got american mile record attempt in chicago a north american 5k record attempt in boston by the bowerman crew so i think the record's 1448
1: i'm gonna say she gets it yeah i looked it up it's 1447 by shalane flanagan a ways back now that's that's very gettable. I mean, Vanessa Fraser ran 14.48 a couple of years ago and she's, what, the fourth best 5K runner in, on Bowman, something like that, so they've got a bunch of athletes actually going for it this weekend. GDS, Elise Cranny, Courtney frericks, are all in there. Wayne Collardi's in this field. Ellie Hennis who just ran well at Camel City. I would expect GDS to get the 5K record and yeah, Robert. Like you said, that that twenty nine oh four close. That was incredible. She got. I think she was a thirteen point final hundred. I mean, I I don't want to sound. Is this bad to compare her to what to Shelby Houlihan? It reminded me of Shelby Houlihan's change of gears at the end of races we used to see on these kind of meets. John, I think it's totally
2: appropriate to mention Shelby Houlihan. We have to mention Shelby Houlihan because it's such a part of the Barronman story right now. Not that we need to like. Relitigate everything, but the Bus Stafford was my like athlete of the week, performance of the week, interview of the week. If you want to combine a bunch of things together, I talked to her afterwards. Found it fascinating. She's just sort of talking about stuff. I mean, she, I mean, first off, just she's like, I had great anxiety before the race, and I'm like, what? Like, it's first race of the year, and she's like, yeah, exactly, first race of the year. You're very nervous. I suffer from anxiety. It's very difficult for me. Like, we
1: know these athletes aren't robots, right? No, we saw that with Michaela Schiffer at the Olympics. We saw that with Simone Biles in Tokyo. Yeah, I don't know. I just, sometimes I just.
2: The elite runners perform so consistently time in, time out, including Gabriella. It's, I don't know. Refreshing isn't the right word, but humanizing to hear her say, like, anxiety is something I really struggle with. And so then I said, she was talking about going for the North American record attempt and other women in the group. And I'm like, wait, what do you think of the whole Shelby Houlihan situation? And I found her response to be very human as well. What do you think of her whole situation,
1: like it's really it's a really tough situation yeah i mean uh i just like wish her the best in like this next stage of life and just hope that she's you know that she gets like the answers that she wants and needs um and yeah that she's able to make whatever next transition goes for her you know as soon as possible and as smoothly as possible but yeah it's like all kind of traumatizing and very upsetting and you know like yeah it's really hard.
0: I like that quote, and I know some people don't even like us talking about Shelby, because some people want her crucified, but whether well, you think she's guilty or innocent, that quote from Gabrielle actually applies. Like, Shelby needs to find peace in life. It's traumatic for Gabrielle. You join the group, all this happens. They have to kind of have to keep it a secret, etc. She's been through two them all That's the thing I think that we got to remember. Hobbs Kessler is a freshman in college. He's trying to get used to being away from home and coming back from home. What does he want that makes him happy as a person? Where does Gabrielle want to train to make her happy as a person? What is Shelby going to do, whether the band's held up or not? And, yeah, I think it's sometimes easy to, you know, I mean, I do this in track a lot. Like, you know, John criticized me earlier on the show for this. Like, the high school race ends and immediately I'm like, well, but he's not the best teenager ever you know, to make the athletes just numbers is wrong. It's actually one of my biggest complaints about pro team sports. And, you know, I'm proud of the Baltimore teams, but it really bothers me how people like, cut this guy, trade this guy. I'm like, he's got a family and whatever. Like, I like to root for my team and not just, you know, see them as numbers or PRs, you know, et cetera. And I don't know if you have anything else you want to say about Gabrielle Walton because... That brings me to another interview from last week that was my favorite of the week.
1: Well, what I thought gabriella it's Gabriella, Robert, not Gabrielle. What I thought she said that was interesting was about Shelby having to move on, essentially. Because right now, Shelby Houlihan exists. She's still acting as if she exists in this liminal space. And for a while, it was most of 2021, for the first half of the year, she was provisionally suspended, I think. i got to figure out the exact timeline on that. She wasn't competing. And waiting for the CAS result, first waiting to be charged, and then waiting for the outcome of the CAS case, she didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And then the CAS case comes down, it says you're banned for four years. But she's continuing to train right now. She posted on her Instagram story that she ran 403. She posted a stopwatch that said 403, and then it said a 104 for the last split. So what we can assume from that is she ran a 1500 time trial, closing in 64, which is, for a runner of her ability at this time of the year, about what you would expect in a time trial. It shows she's still training. Certainly strongly suggests that. And the decision she has to make here is, am I going to continue training at a high level for three years until my ban expires? Am I going to take a break? Am I going to wait until the appeal in Swiss court goes through and then make a decision there? Because it seems like Shelby is still in this sort of liminal space. And it seems like she's waiting for this, the Swiss court decision before she makes you know a full decision about whether she continues running or not. But I think that's what Gabriella W. Stafford was getting at is, She's not over this case yet. It's still, in her mind, it seems to be going on. It's just an interesting space to occupy for Houlihan. Yeah, I said to her, like, well, because she was saying, oh, she has to move on. I'm like, well,
2: hey, she just ran 403. And is like, look, yeah, I know she's still training. She still has her appeal going. She's not training with us. Like, but at some point, the appeal is going to end. It's going to most likely be rejected at this thing. It's more of a technical, legal thing from the court of sport to prove her innocence would she'll have to go out like look for new information it'd be it's gonna be very hard but at some point she's got to wrap her head about what she's gonna do even if she's gonna come back in three years fine figure out how you're gonna do that it's 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 not an easy situation and then gabrielle is like look this almost derailed my olympics last year i was like what and she's like yeah it it was extremely traumatizing finding out when i did was not ideal." And because like, she I only it... found
1: out when everyone else found out. She said a couple days before the announcement, which was, I think, on June 14th. That's when she found out.
2: Exactly. And she was new to this group, fairly new. And then I'm like, wait, so Jerry should have told you earlier? And she's like, no, I don't think so. I think I, I found out when I needed to find out because they were appealing stuff and building their case. But it's still traumatic to just sort of like, whoa, this drops on you. She had been t- training with Laura Brewer's coach, Andy Young. She said that didn't end well, but she switches groups. She's moving to America. Probably one of the biggest appeals for her is like, I'm going to train with Shelby Houlihan every day. And then she finds out this woman is being accused of being a drug cheat, her training partner. So it's just like, whoa. But clearly, professionally, and on her level personally, she's running very well, recovered, and kind of put, if not put it behind her, is able to, you know, th- look like she's gonna able to thrive in 2022. That's Gabriella, and not Shelby, obviously. But yeah, the 403 time trial by Shelby. Let's I People in Let's Run are just eating this thing up, man. I'm shocked at how much people are talking about it. Like, I kind of thought Shelby might keep training. I don't know. Should we be shocked?
1: Is she not allowed to post what she did? I don't know. I don't know with what else there is to say about it. She's still training. That's she's still fit right now. She's not allowed to compete. It's the details of her specific training situation have not been elaborated. And I think that everyone it would be good for everyone to know exactly what's going on. Is she still working with Jerry Schumacher? What exactly is her situation? But it does, yeah, she's continuing to train, and this was a, a result you would expect for someone who can run 354.
0: There's plenty to talk about with this for Shelby. To me, the vitriol she gets, people are like, she should never run again. There's, there's so much anger. It shows you what's wrong with America and the world right now. There's no, what color is this shirt that I'm wearing, people? It's gray. The middle ground has been lost. Everything is black or white in everybody's mind. You're either, you're either you know, pro-Trump, or anti-Trump. You're either Republican or Democrat. You're either anti-vax or pro-vax. There's nothing in the middle. Whereas I think, you know, you're either anti-voting rights or a racist. Like, there's nothing in the middle. Like, even take voting. I don't know why I'm going to go politics. This is a simple example. I thought about this the other day. Most people think, you know what, you should have to prove who you are to vote. But it should also be easy as hell to vote. So I got a simple solution. Have a national holiday and you vote in person. That's pretty simple. Everybody pretty much would ha- be happy with that. The far right wing would be, okay, we don't have any counterfeit votes. The left wing would be like, hey, holiday, make it easier to vote. That's a good thing. The middle ground is completely gone in this country, and it's pretty Robert, easy to find. So, How do you find so, a middle ground on the Shelby Hulian case? Well, she's banned from the sport, but why can't she be allowed to compete and run? People don't even want her running. People are so angry what? on that message board. They go, she's a doper. Look, it, it, maybe she is a doper, but if she dope, that doesn't mean she has to be miserable for the next Three years of her life, Justin Gatlin came back. He was allowed back in the sport. Those are the rules. I personally think she should keep competing. Why? Because this ban should be reduced from four years to three. She's already one year past it. By the time her final Hail Mary appeal gets done, it's going to be a year and a half. So then she basically only has six more months to go until it's two years. And it's like breaking down an interval in your head. And then once it's two years, you might as well start training because you'll be back in one year. So Ro- I think anyone that was banned last year should get a three-year ban, not a four-year ban, because it was never intended for you to miss two Olympics because of a drug ban.
2: Robert, I don't think there is a gray area. If she intentionally doped what some people would think happened and is lying to us, people aren't going to see any gray area. It's it's either she d- at this stage, I think from her perspective or... Well, she would know. She knows right now, like, what happened. I guess she could have this in her body inadvertently. But assuming—so it's either inadvertently in her body and she's banned from the sport for four years. I think most people would be like, that's a fucking travesty. The other side is she intentionally took some drug or she knows what it is and it's misleading us. That's a travesty as well. I don't really see much middle ground here. I, I, I honestly don't see any middle ground in this situation. The middle ground is, no is simple.
0: Gray. The average person does not know what she did. The average, the middle ground is simple. You do not know. The average person doesn't understand the science. This isn't like there's a video of someone executing, of her injecting the EPO. So the, the, her story, while scientifically improbable, could be true. They don't know that. No one knows the studies of these things. This, I mean, we're paying Ross Tucker to write an article on this. The science behind this is very complex. Very complex. So that's the middle ground. Just admit that, like, okay, I think she did it on purpose. I guess then she's lying to you. You don't like it, but I don't know. I, I, I just the vitriol. I don't like it. I don't like it.
1: You know, we have the well, rules. My take on this whole thing is: if you, even if you believe Shelby Houlihan, you have to admit that her story is exceedingly unlikely, and that if she is truly innocent, she's the victim of a very unfortunate set of circumstances that have all culminated in this. And the bigger argument to me is like, are you willing to accept that if it's 99.9% certain she doped or 99.5% certain she doped and that's what this panel has ruled and she's banned, are we, we're cool with that? Or if there is a, how small a chance are you willing to accept that she was innocent? I think one in 10,000 is the number that's been thrown out. If there was a one in 10,000 chance that what she's tell- she's saying is true, do we just ignore that, or do we say, "Well, that's enough"? In a situation like this, where she can't really prove her innocence, because for a lot, a lot of a lot of people I've seen have said, "Well, if it's yeah, if it's one in ten thousand, then I just don't believe that that's she's innocent and she should be banned." CAS found she's banned.
2: Yeah, one in ten thousand—that's not gray area for most people. So the science may be complex, but the they ruled the probability, I don't think it has to be one in 10,000, is against her that once this stuff is found in your body, the burden's shifted to Shelby to prove how it got there. And she hasn't been able to, to meet that burden.
1: Right. It becomes a debate about process at that point. But a lot of people don't see an issue with the with the AIU's process. And they would say the same thing with Jerry and Lawson. So, some people would look at the Jerry and Lawson case and view that, oh, this is, this was a major issue. He was banned for two years for something he was later ruled that he didn't commit. And other people would say, no, actually the system's working as it should. And that's sort of, you know, the people who trust in the system think there's no issue with the Shelby Ulahan case at all.
0: To me, there is an issue. There's an issue with the RJ Wilson case as well. That's why I'm in the middle ground. RJ Wilson is innocent. I don't know that she's innocent. She was ruled innocent, but I think it's a problem if you have... One out of every 10,000 drug tests is automatically going to be a positive just because of what we have in the U.S. food supply. If that's the case, then I think we need major reform. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. We're going to be having more extensive stuff on Shelby. I don't want to be accused of being an apologist for her. Um, you know, this reminds me honestly of the, of the Mary Slaney case way back in the day, like to me, her husband was a shot putter. Um, we know there was steroids, athletics, Wes. Um, she was getting late in her career. Like, I was like, okay, they found it in her system, she was dirty. But then I had people vouch to me, like, no way, she was dirty, blah blah blah. So when I was younger, I didn't have any sympathy. Now I'm like, oh, I can kind of see why they were saying that, but I, I, I don't know. Let's just talk about something else. How about my favorite interview? John, our boy, Grant Hallway? he says that John and I are his longtime supporters and acts like we're best friends.
1: Have you ever even met Grant Holloway, like in person, Robert? Of course. I go to
0: the NCAA meets and everything.
1: Do you go to the NCAA meets? I feel like for a while, it was just me and Will then. I guess NCAA's in Austin. You were definitely there. I remember covering that, and that's when he broke the collegiate record.
0: Thank you, John. Anyways, he was at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, along with Noah Lyles and Trevor Burmell. These guys were the Olympic 100, 200, and 400 favorites or 100, 200, and 110 hurdle favorites in Tokyo. None of them won the gold. And obviously the question was like, hey, what do you guys think? Are you, how devastating was the Olympics? And I just loved his quote. I'm sorry if this comes off as, excuse my language, as an asshole, but that's what sport is. We're not disappointed because we got a medal for the country. From a media standpoint, people say it's a disappointment. For us, we did something that not a lot of people are able to do. We're young in sport, and we're able to keep growing. Were we as consistent as we wanted to? Probably not. But at this stage, we were still able to do something unforgettable for our country. You can add anything you want to add, but I just want to get that out there. So any other reporter, anybody else that asked that question, let's just throw it out. It's in the past. It was last year. Let's leave it alone. We got a medal. Let's leave it at that. So pretty, a little bit confrontational there, right, John? I mean, Noah I was actually interrupted to say, hey, we were disappointed. So I don't agree with the disappointed comment. Like, of course he wanted to win, but it's like, I I like the comment that since up, if the Cincinnati Bengals lose the Super Bowl, like was their season a failure? No, they did pretty damn well. And maybe maybe the Rams is a better example since they're favored in the Super Bowl and had big expectations coming into the year. But I don't know. It's like the Buffalo Bills making the Super Bowl three years in a row. I don't understand why they're viewed as a terrible losing team. They did something great. It just wasn't the very best. Four years in a row.
1: No, I, I thought what he said was really interesting. It wasn't confrontational. I thought it was very measured. But when you're an athlete in that situation, none of them delivered what the media, the expectations that we put on them against the Olympics. None of them won that Olympic gold medal. And when you're an athlete and you go, especially Bromel, who didn't even make the final, certainly underperformed. You need to process that. That's that's the event they've been training for their entire lives. And when you're training for it, you think, oh, you picture yourself on the podium. You picture yourself winning the gold medal. You don't picture yourself having to go through the mix zone and talk to me after the race and explain why you didn't run as well as we thought you could. You don't picture, you know, what you're going to have to deal with coming down from the race and then dwelling on that performance and having to live with it for the next six months before you start training again. You don't think of all those things. So everyone has to process this event. It's a big, important event in their, in their lives. It's a major life event. And you, you have to move on and process it. And everyone processes it a little different. I think Brunt is processing it as, look, it wasn't a failure. We went there. It wasn't exactly what we wanted, but we, I still did something very special. Trayvon Bromel, the way he processed it was, well, I had a great season. I authored one of the greatest comebacks this sport has ever seen. I, I would say that. He didn't say that specifically, but it's an amazing comeback. He was dead and buried about two years ago. To come back and even make it to the Olympics and be the US champ and run 976 is phenomenal, but he didn't deliver at the Olympics. He's trying to focus on the part of his story that is amazing that he made to come back to that level at all. And Noah Lyles, the way he processed it was is it agent, Mark Wetmore, who was also Tyson Gay's agent. He said Tyson Gay doesn't have an Olympic medal. Tyson Gate, who's the American record holder, the second fastest man of all time, never built at the Olympics. And that made Noah Lyles realize, well, wow, so I've done something he hasn't done. He still ran 19.7 in the final. It seemed to me that all of them had a pretty healthy perspective on the Olympics, which was the first Olympics for Holloway and for Lyles. It was the second for Bromel. But it seemed like they were all like, okay, I've processed this. I've moved on. And now we got 2022 World Championships, home soil. That's what my focus is on now. And I think it was good for them to say that, and I think it was enlightening. One last thing I wanted to address from the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. Talked about the high school phenoms at Dr. Sander. We did not talk about Will Sumner in the Men's 800 New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. He's already broken the 500 and 600 meter high school records this year. And in the 800, people kind of assumed, oh, he's going to be going for the national record. His post race interview, he said that wasn't actually the case. He wasn't really thinking of the record. He just, you know, was trying to run the best he could. And he ran pretty darn well. He was sixth place, second to loss, but 148.14. That's the second fastest time ever by high school or indoors. The record is 147.67. Pretty good range. Be a guy who runs 21 in the 200 up to 148-1 one in the 800. Seems like he's definitely a speed oriented guy. He approaches it, he doesn't really approach his distance runner, but I was impressed by his performance.
0: I was super impressed and super stunned by how he ran this. Being more of a speed guy, like the splits were dead even. Went out in dead last 2702, 2688 2730, 2696. So the gap between the fastest two hundred and the slowest two hundred was just 0.42 of a second like that's like a metronome that's amazing to me i i think that it shows he's got re- really good speed endurance really good natural endurance so he may be a speed guy but he's, you've got to have some sort of an engine to be world class in the 800 so i thought that was really encouraging
2: and his parents are both very good 800 meter runners i think he knows his futures at the eight but he's not an 800 meter runner now he says as much And I was impressed. I think the longest run of his life is four miles. But, John, you talked to Natalie Cook, the top high school female distance runner in America right now. She only runs 15 to 20 miles a week. So how many miles you need to run to be a good distance runner is changed drastically for me this week
1: yeah well the other interesting thing about Natalie is she does cross train a lot she said she only runs four days per week but on the days she do, she takes Sundays I think totally off is what it sounds like but on the days when she doesn't run she does an hour of cross training and on the days she does run it's half an hour of tra- cross training so she's a big talent eventually like, you're not going to be a world class mile, a world class runner on 20 miles a week but right now, that you know, I think her coach and her father, Andrew, they were looking for a solution because she would get injured, and they've seemed to have worked on one where she just does a lot of cross training. Um, it's working pretty well so far. Okay, anything else on New Balance Indoor Grand Prix? or Should we move on to Molly Seidel's Bumble?
0: I don't want to go to the Bumble quite yet. I want to keep going to quotes that I liked from last week. It's going to be a big weekend this weekend. We said the American market, the temp of the mile, the Barrowman track, how people are going out in Boston and Pete Julian is throwing, putting on a meet in Washington, I believe at the place where the USA indoor meet is taking place. Donovan Brazier is going to be in it. Craig Engels, who else? John give, give me a few specifics here.
1: Yeah. Josh Carr is facing Craig Engels in the 800. Isaiah Harris is facing Donovan Brazier. In the 600, you've got a world record attempt in the women's DMR. So I think talking to Pete, it sounded like Raven Rogers will be on that squad. And I don't, I don't know the exact leg configuration, but you know, you have to be, it has to be all American. So they've got Sinclair Johnson, Alexa Ephraimson, Ella Donahue. That's sort of the. Mid-distance squad, so some group from and Shannon Oseka, some some combination of them is going to be running that. And yeah, it's called the Lilac Grand Prix. Women's fifteen hundred: Ali Bahalski, Corey McGee, Anna Camp Bennett, jo- Danny Jones, Constance Klosterhalfen Basically, a lot of Pete's athletes are running, and he's got some top athletes. You you know, add in a few more West coast base athletes. Got some decent fields. Men's fifteen hundred: Isaac Yorks. Luis Grialva, Charlie Hunter, Brandon Kidder, Waleed Suleiman. So this meet, it's on pay-per-view. It's eight bucks on Friday night. And essentially, that's the model that they've tried out a few times. They're working with Tracklandia, the same team that put on the, the big friendly, that series of meets in 2020. And they had a few races last week, last year, working with Jesse Williams where they tried this model, pay-per-view, and then the athlete, the money goes towards the athletes in the form of prize money. Because that's something that Pete Julian believes in, is that athletes should be seeing more of the sponsorship money that goes into these meets. And he wants it directly in the form of prize money.
0: I think it's great that Pete's putting on a meet and, and trying to make the sport better, but it's kind of interesting because I mean, it's easy to complain. It's hard to, to come up with a solution. But I've come to the conclusion, you know, five or 10 years ago that, like, you know, doing pay-per-view or marketing a certain way isn't suddenly going to be the solution. But when I when I see these pay-per-view meets and stuff, it does remind me, I really think USATF dropped the ball on all this. I mean, check this quote out from Pete about why he's doing pay-per-view, et cetera. Winning $800 at a Diamond League for 7th place, it's like don't even give out that money. It's embarrassing to list that on your website because you don't value the athletes. We need the shoe companies to stop funding the whole sport, and it can start with this. We don't agree with Donovan Brazier going to run a race and not getting any part of that revenue. And it's even worse that his mother is paying to watch the race. That's ridiculous. Why should he even run it now? I get his frustration, but the reason why he's not getting a big cut of the Diamond League is because there's not a lot of money at the Diamond League the first half. There's a lot of overhead to put on the track meet to get everyone to fly in. Etc. There's a lot of costs. So if track was super popular, we'd have money. You know, the the organizers would have money to pay out to the to the athletes. But it's like the NFL; they only pay out like fifty percent or something to the athletes because you've got to build the damn stadiums, TV crew productions. The overhead just is huge. So, you know, the the first part is going to that, and then the rest goes down to the athletes. So, um, I understand the frustration, but there's just not enough money to go down. You know, does he think that? These meets, do you think that the people who are putting on the track and field meets with no fans are making tons of money? No, they're not. <laughs> you know, most of the people in the stadium are agent, family member, et cetera. But it, I really think, imagine if USATF, instead of having these private streaming companies, if USATF, when the internet had come out, had taken the lead here and said, you know what, we're going to broadcast these meets. We go to the colleges and say, hey, will you give us the archives, et cetera, or can we can we put a camera in all, every stadium in America? Robert,
2: USATF has a streaming thing. It's called USATF Plus. They do stream a lot of meets. I mean, there's but, always going to be competing streaming services. I don't think that's they don't, the issue. They don't have a monopoly, of it. And monopoly? They don't have Robert. They would have a streaming someone else if track was super popular. It'd be like the NFL. Somebody would compete for it. So well,
0: what's people your point? would probably complain if they were in charge. But imagine this scenario: whereas when the internet came out, USATF started broadcasting the meets. And you you joined USATF, you paid them $150 a year, and you thought, I'm supporting Team USA. People like to support the team. I'm supporting American Track and Field. I subscribe to USATF. They give you the, member, they give you the meets free for that. And then all the meets are on there. And if you get a million people to do it, it's $150 million. Then they'd have money to hand out to the athletes, and it wouldn't just be the charity of a few companies. So I just wish that instead of having this fragmented thing where one person doesn't meet here and then another streaming service doesn't meet here, it's kind of, I mean, you're seeing it, though, in movies no. and entertainment, et cetera.
2: I think that's the deal. There aren't a million people in America who are going to willing to pay. Maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. Who are willing to pay $150 a year f- for track. If there were, there would be a lot more money in the sport. But if you include it as part of Team USA and you market it as like,
0: I'm support- you're supporting American track and field, I think that's a better sell than I'm selling this one-off meet, which I, I don't want to pay for.
1: But I think the bigger issue here is, okay, let's say that USATF gets the broadcast rights to the Lilac Grand Prix, this meet they're staging, right? How much would they pay the Lilac Grand Prix for those streaming rights? Because your fr- your prize money is coming from either sponsors or from the broadcast contract, right? And they're basically, they're having it come from the broadcast this contract this time, except it's coming directly from consumers instead of from a company who was paid for the broadcast rights. But and Pete's saying, okay, we're doing it this way because we will get more money directly to the athletes by... Having it pay per view, but that's also because, like, why is the broadcast rights to a meet like the Lilac Grand Prix worth? You know, are, are they going to get a ton? Is there a ton of demand for a broadcast company to stream that meet? I would say there's not a huge demand, so maybe that is the best way to go pay per view directly to the consumer for that kind of meet. Yeah, anyone can stream a meet.
2: Anyone can pay per view it. I'm curious. I mean, boxing. Fighting sports do really well, pay per view, but there's a huge demand for that. And I, I think i think the bigger issue is you need the sport to be more, more popular, that's what we need. The, how you divvy up the money, yeah, obviously the athletes deserve a share of the money. Uh, the Diamond League, I don't think, is out to sh- shaft athletes, but athletes should always be speaking up like, hey, what share of my money am I doing? Oh, am I getting paid for this? But you know, I go to the national t- TV meet this week in New Balance Grand Prix. It's in it's Stanton Island, part of New York City. Lots of empty seats.
1: I think the Diamond League works like most other professional individual sports work. Like a golf tournament. does Is every golfer guaranteed money from that meet? No. You have to fit, they have a lot of prize money, and if you perform well enough, you get the prize money. And that's basically how it works in the Diamond League as well. Except there's not as much money... The diamond league trap meet, because the broadcast contract isn't as big as it is for a golf tournament.
0: Yeah. So we all agree that we need to make the sport more popular. Then the money comes. How do you make it more popular? Pete, despite, even though he's having a few world record attempts here, is very passionate about the idea that we got to stop having so many time trials, which is something that I've argued at times, but then, I don't know. Listen to these quotes. Even in the U.S. meets, you've got 3:33, 500 meter guys asking to come through in 151 and simply just ruining the race because meet directors are drinking the Kool-Aid of just wanting fast times, but completely forgetting about the actual race and what makes it exciting. It's meet after event, meet event after event, and all you see is one athlete out there chasing the clock and failing to meet the mark 99 times out of 100. You have to wonder, is this the way to go? Why even have anyone else out there? I've become passionate about it. I want to see people racing against people who aren't teammates. We want to see someone win versus good competition. Place first, time second. Fans love to see our best athletes racing for the pride of team or country. They get excited about it. That's why the Olympic trials and games are so popular. You don't even know the times of the winners because they're racing and places everything. I understand the sentiment, but look, (laughs) the reason why the Lilac Grand Prix isn't exciting is because it doesn't mean anything. You're watching practice. It doesn't matter if Josh Kerr beats Craig Dingles, etc. It's an exhibition NFL game. That's what it is, and and to me, my question to Pete would be, Pete, how many of your athletes are going to World Indoors, Nike? Why don't you require that in in the contract? If we want to have the sport popular, we've got to have majors. We have got to have events, the events that are popular ones where winning means something, losing means something. The Olympic Trials, the Olympics. That's basically it is the big one we need to have more than one major the world championships we need to have more than one major a year or two if you're a u.s athlete we need to like you know i follow tennis i follow golf but i don't give a shit who wins the mercedes classic i follow the majors as a casual sports fan so i don't know how we can get to four but we could have world indoors and world outdoors if people were taking world indoors seriously in budapest guess what <laughs> that we'd have two. We'd be halfway there to the four majors, which is a lot better
2: than what we have now.
1: Just a reminder, it's in Belgrade, not Budapest this year.
2: Athletes should be trying to get their share. How much of the Olympic TV money eventually comes back directly to the athletes and how much gets lost to administrators along the way? Keep asking, pressing those questions. The sport needs more money, but it's not generating a lot of money is the problem. So is pay-per-view the option? I don't know. But we've had before sort of entities we pay the money to them. In theory, some of that would come back to the athletes. It, this just makes it more explicit. And they're like, hey, I'm going to pay if some of the money goes to the athletes. So I'm up for trying it. But okay. I mean, Phil Knight, is our sport going to rely on Phil could drop dead tomorrow, leave a billion dollar endowment, fund a lot of price money for track and field? If you want, I mean, to be honest, is, is that what we really need? You could j- argue Phil has made a bunch of money. For from the start of the sport, the myth of the sport, obviously Nike makes good products. Should some of that come back? Is that going to be his legacy? That's, I
1: mean. He's given plenty back to the sport. He's propped up the sport. He built this $200 million stadium. I think Phil Knight's given plenty to the sport of track and field.
2: I didn't say he hasn't. But I'm saying, could that be his ultimate legacy, John, when he passes on is, here's a couple billion dollars. Think what that generates per year. Setting up that very stringently, I think that's what someone needs to be thinking about. You know, there's something called Hayward Magic, letting four thousand kids watch this meet. I, I'm great. We want kids to see the sport, be inspired by the next generation. But Hayward Magic is backed by Phil Knight, and ultimately, I think what what happens when Phil Knight passes on, it's crazy that we need his like charity to like really fund the sport. But I mean. I don't know, it's a possibility, right?
1: Well, no, That there's, is it. it's a sport- question to be asked. What is Nike's sports marketing budget? Because they sport sponsor more athletes in the sport than any other by a, a large amount, I would say. They, they've said, like, in their core, I think Phil Knight views it as a company that's committed to running, that running's in their blood, but when he's gone, are they still going to be committing and putting the same amount of dollars in the sport at the level they are now? It's something to be asked. You would you might think Phil might say in his will or whatever, you know, this is something I want to see continue, but that is a legitimate question to be asked. Is how much will Nike continue to support the sport once he's gone? So much to try to figure out the total dollar amount
2: in professional track and field compared to other sports. But track does get good TV ratings. The Olympics obviously bring in more money. Maybe more money should go to the athletes, but the problem is also there's so many events, a lot of athletes. All right, shall we get to the big story of the day? Molly Seidel. John, that's what people are listening for.
1: Well, yeah, it's, I mean, the thread, is, is it's currently Super hot. Let's Thread? Apparently people, she made it basically she made a joke on Instagram and, a lot of people on Let's Run have strong feelings about it, apparently. And if you if you haven't seen it, it's essentially a screenshot from a conversation she had with someone she matched with on Bumble. That's a dating app where the woman is supposed to send the first message. And the excerpt is this guy she's matched with said, what do you do for work? Molly responds. I'm a pro marathon runner. And then he responds back. So you think you could beat me in a race? Wink emoji. Then she says, I'd sure fucking hope so. I I, I thought it was funny. I got a, a laugh out of it. And then she captioned it on Instagram. When your bumble match challenges you to race. And then she said, hashtag unmatch, hashtag lose my number. So I don't know if we really need to pass this. It's just, it's a exchange between two people on Bumble, but do you guys have strong feelings about this? I kind of just view it as amusing.
0: This confirms one of the titles of my unpublished book that will be coming out. Tone is often lost on the internet or text. To me, what this guy wrote was very tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, you're pro marathoner? Oh, you can beat me in a race? He was like, ha-ha, wink emoji. I think he was trying to be funny i don't think he deserved to be immediately dropped as a date candidate but hey i'm not going to go any more critical than that in the past i've doubted some of the things that molly's put on the internet i still have offered i've offered in case y'all don't know i've offered five thousand dollars for the man that is supposedly sat next to her plane and criticized her training log without knowing who she was to come forward I think that story was a little bit exaggerated, but, um, this one seems kind of just like tones lost in the internet. People didn't understand what she, I don't think she understood what he was doing. I don't think he was trying to be a jerk. It's actually similar to the other story. I kind in some ways.
1: I, I kind of view it. I, I thought it was a playful pickup line and maybe this explains why I'm still single, but I saw her, I'm like, oh, I think that's kind of a good joke. Like, yes, he probably would lose to her in a race um, <laughs> unless he's like a super elite flag runner who already knows who she is. That, that, that doesn't seem the case so yeah it didn't work she interpreted it differently and that's obviously she. that's what she wants to do I'm totally fine with that I don't really care but yeah I kind of thought I was like oh it's kind of playful and she took it a different way she went on much so that's that's fine I mean John you said we need to talk about this well it's super
2: hot on Let's Run right now it's what people are talking about and yeah maybe this explains while you're still single while Robert and I were single to our 30s I don't know if this explains my first divorce, but um, I, I like if if I'm a, on a dating app and some girl said I'm an MMA fighter, I would say so you can kick my ass or something like that. I, I don't think you have to unmatch him. You can't be too critical on the dating apps, but maybe men and women see this completely differently. Women are like, oh, this guy's a jerk for not acknowledging the obvious that he would get beat in a race.
1: Um. I kind of viewed it as he was though, like he was saying the wink emoji. I thought that was his way of saying, "So yeah, you definitely would beat me in a race, right?" But I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's taken a different. Clearly, it was taken a different way. It, but do we need to go there, John?
2: Would what are those? How far of a race would he beat her in? No, I wasn't going to bring maybe that didn't up. reveal where were sexist pigs, but. How fit of a 30-year-old male, let's say, he is would he have to be to beat her in a sprint race? Most people, when they think of a race, think of a sprint race. Obviously, anything over a quarter, probably 200, I'm convinced she would smoke him in. But some, like, random dude who,
1: like, plays soccer, could he beat her in 100, 40? I don't know. I mean, the average man's going to beat the average woman in a 50-meter foot race. Molly Seidel's clearly much more than average woman, but I, I don't know. Like, if, yeah, if you're quite athle- if you're a quite athletic guy and you're racing an Olympic marathon over 100 meters, yeah, I, I think there are probably a decent number of people in Flagstaff who could do that, but I don't know anything about the guy. So, like, it's impossible for me to say.
2: This one's hard because we come at it from, you know, being distance runners ourselves. And I'm pretty like, any, Fit distance runner would beat Molly in a short sprint race, so it's like no question. But I'm like, wait, the, you'd have to be a pretty good athlete, I think, otherwise, t- to beat her. So the average guy, no way in hell, gets smoked in a short race. Uh, I think is probably what we're thinking. But
1: yeah, average human, the average guy, Molly side will win. Pretty athletic guy, I don't know, it kind of depends. I don't really. Again, I think we've deviated way too much to this conversation than we need to, but I just kind of viewed it as a playful and funny Instagram post. I assume
2: the guys Molly you're matching with might be athletic. Robert, are you going to put a bounty on? This guy exists. What if we could get this guy on the podcast? Robert, how much would you pay for this guy to come forward to be on our podcast, see what he was thinking? He might have think, wow, I matched with this Olympic. And then he's like, holy shit. Now I've been, like, did she unswipe him? No. Look, I think Molly's
0: personality is amazing. She's a breath of fresh air. i just critical of a few things. I think we should offer money.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh we talked, we you guys are losing about, me here. Uh, I, I think, I don't know why you're We talked about
0: giving athletes money. This should go back to the money. $5,000 live pay-per-view. 4000 of it goes to Molly. $1,000 goes to this man. They race 100 meters. That's what I'll do. I think it'd be epic. Now, do we pay-per-view it? If we if we bring in more, if we do pay-per-view and we, you know, bring in more money, we'll even give them more. We've got to cover our costs. I don't want to lose money on the venture. I mean, I'm simple. willing to lose $5,000 on it, but not, not more than that.
2: Well, I think <laughs> oh what, what percent usually goes to the athletes, right? The first whatever will go that we've already established. And then I think after that, we can say at least 60% will go to the athletes. I mean, obviously, a huge bounty has to go to the winter, winner. And Molly, for being an Olympian, should get more.
0: Oh, that's true. We need to have a cash prize because otherwise, they, they, like, he might throw the race to... Or she might throw... You know, someone could... We need to have a cash incentive so they don't throw the race. And access to their bank accounts afterwards to make sure they don't do Venmo or something to... <laughs>
1: So Robin now wants access to Molly Seidel's bank account. Is that what I heard? Nah, no, I think it's
0: amazing. I think she's got the type of personality. She might race this guy. Might be hilarious. Be funny.
1: If I if I were her and I was offered four thousand dollars to show up and race a hundred meters against some rando, I'd take it in a heartbeat.
0: Now John Kellogg already estimated. He said, like, "I think she could run twelve point five for the one hundred meters." That seems fast to me. Like that seems. Am like, could I've ever done that? Like I so what. Oh, with a running start, he says.
2: No, yeah. So ask John. I think the
1: average guy might want to go shorter, like 40. Like, Oh, f- yeah. They might not even be thinking 100 meters. They might just be thinking like 50 meters, you know? Well, I'll race you to that trash can, something like that. Again, yeah, that's why I assumed this guy was thinking. I wasn't thinking like he would beat her in a marathon. Because, I mean, <laughs> anyone who could, anyone in Flagstaff who could beat Molly Seidel in a marathon knows who Molly Seidel is. Uh, well, we were, you know, talking about pay-per-view and stuff earlier, track and field, watching it.
2: I think if you said, oh, this Olympic marathoner's going to race her bumble date, some random guy who you could play it up, who insulted her on the internet. Tons of, like, average people will watch this. I don't know how many people would actually pay, but more people would watch this than... The little Lila, Lila Grand Prix—is that the word?
0: Yeah, and it would tie into what Pete Julian's saying: it's a head-to-head competition. Time is irrelevant, but it also would, would tie into what I've been saying to make the sport more popular. The result has to mean something. This would mean we would have a winner or a loser. We, would, we, we, men could rejoice, women could rejoice, pro athletes could rejoice, amateur athletes. I mean, there's a lot of different sides. You, you got to have be emotionally invested to the team, and this would. There'd be a lot of reasons to pick one side or the other. If you're, you know, et cetera. You could pick molly because you're a marathoner male or female you could pick molly because you know you're a fan of of her metal Uh, you could pick the guy because you're just a random dude like it would be very very fascinating they should race i will broadcast it live with a prize purse of at least five (laughs) thousand dollars
1: well i didn't think this is how we'd be wrapping up this week's podcast with robert offering $5,000 for a match race between Molly Seidel and her erstwhile Bumble match, but here we are. We've got a lot of other races that we know will be happening this weekend. We'll come back and preview them. I think we're going to try to do a special Thursday 15 this week because a lot of this racing action is on Friday either at the Lilac Grand Prix or the Valentine Invitational in Boston or this Windy City meet the American record attempt by Cole Hawker and Cupertier in the mile in Chicago. All of that, I believe, is on Friday. So we'll preview it on Thursday. Have that out for our Supporters Club members. If you're not a Supporters Club member and you want to do that, listen to this podcast. We do this pretty much every time there are weekend meets. Most trap meets are on the weekend. We preview them all on the Friday 15, or in this case, the Thursday 15. So go to letsrun.com slash subscribe We do that podcast every week. You get a t-shirt. You get discounts on shoes and gear. I think it's worth the money. Anyway, enjoy talking to you guys. As always, we'll be back tomorrow.
0: Are you a fan of the podcast? Then you'll love the bonus podcast we do every week. This week, it's going to be extra special because we're going to do a Thursday 15 podcast because there's so many meets on Friday that we want to let you get an extensive breakdown of it. So... Go to Lutch1.com slash subscribe if you're not a supporting club member and join today. Lutch1.com slash subscribe.